treason news, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by a rare pairing. Catherine and Faye. Yes. At least never together. I don't think we've ever recorded together. Yeah. I mean, we've hung. We've eaten vegan food or... I gave you money for yeah. vegan food. That was it. <laughs> that was about it. What did you just say? I don't think we've ever what together? Recorded. I thought you said, I don't think we've ever partied together. And I was well, not that same. neither. I was like, <laughs> what? Neither. Um, how are you guys? Good, good. This is my first time in your new abode, Allison. Yes. I'm having that uh, thing when you see another person's place <laughs> and you're like, I don't want to live here. <laughs> my place is fine, but like, this is so nice. Yeah, it's not bad. I can't wait till we have furniture. Um, Who needs furniture? It's overrated. Well, on Tuesday, I'll have someone and I'll be I'm thrilled. in a lawn chair. I feel like I'm at the beach. <laughs> That's uh, what everyone says. Yeah, yeah. Like, we should just keep it this way. Like, yeah. honestly. And Allison's like, no, I need furniture. <laughs> no, honestly, these chairs are so comfortable. I'm going to miss them. Yeah. I well, think we're going to put them in the back. I was about to yeah. say, you have a patio. You have a um, yes. We should do witchcraft out in the back, by the way. Oh, I assumed we would be doing witchcraft. Um, <laughs> I just went up on my roof for the full moon last night, yeah. and it was amazing. And I was like, why don't I do this outside more often? Oh, yeah. I actually don't know if we have rooftop access here. I got to figure that out. You know, I, I've been getting into that. I burnt sage in my apartment and said there you some go. affirmations. Hmm. I think it worked. Yeah. Good. You know, how could it not? Exactly. <laughs> it smelled like burning things and good things happen. Yep. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, guys, it's a Monday episode, so that means I have a... Penny. Great interview. Um, Penny's drinking my water. That's fine. I have a great it's her water now. interview for you guys with Melissa Jeltsen. She is the senior reporter at HuffPost writing about violence against women. You should follow her on Twitter at Quasimodo, which I love. Uh, like Quasimodo, but not. Uh, spelled Q. U-A-S-I-M-A-D-O, and she's a great reporter. We talk a lot about true crime and domestic violence in the interview, so we'll get to that in a little bit. But while we're still in the pop culture section, well, before we get to, like, stuff, do you want to, like, plug your various projects? I have a couple things to plug, and not all of them are mine. Uh, new Tell the Bartender's up. Oh, I yeah, interviewed cool. Dave Nadelberg from Mortified. He's the guy who started that show where people read their diaries on stage from when they're children. Oh, my God. It's amazing. But his, it's very emotional. Um, we really get into it about depression um, career being a writer and not feeling like you're good enough even though you're like famous or like on sure. this big stage and he but tells, are you ever famous enough Catherine? am I ever not <laughs> no but I'm, I don't want to spoil too much but we had such an emotional talk that there were tears <gasps> and he tells a story about um, when he was the worst of his depression and this thing that happened that was a coincidence but you know the world works in funny ways mm -hmm. and you just have to look out for it mm -hmm. like chills mm -hmm. um yeah struggle bus is on a little bit of a hiatus for the summer okay we're doing it once a month right now because people are busy keep the people wanting more yeah but i would like to plug <laughs> oh in the new york new futurist i go back in in the end of august nice cool. please come see it i'm in it for the rest of the year it's great i've seen it and i'm gonna plug something it's a play called straight white men Oh, I've heard of. You may think, that sounds like a play I don't want to see. And the playwright, uh, what's her name? Young Jean, um, I believe that's her name. Mm -hmm. Asian, you know, yep. Korean woman. Wrote a play starring white men, but also trans people. Kate Bornstein's in it. Nice. There's a large array of people who are used as devices within the play. And it is mind-blowing. Mm, that's and awesome. And she always approaches um, 
writing plays about what's the scariest thing to me that I know nothing about. And she chose straight white men. I um, have a friend who went to the premiere of that. No way. And he overheard a cis straight white man mansplaining to the playwright about like, well, would you consider William Shakespeare another straight white man? Okay. <laughs> so my friend is understudying Kate Bornstein's part. Okay. So I saw them when they were on for her um, in previews. Mm-hmm. And so I, mean, I got to meet the actors. I got to meet the playwright. My friend's like, oh, did you want to go upstairs and meet Army Hammer and Josh Charles? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no, yes. that, that sounds like that sucks. Not Let's even not a question. That, yeah. Who are the nicest, by the way? I'm sure. And she, the playwright, is fascinating. And um, that person who said that to her can go straight to hell. Yeah, my friend was like, I couldn't tell if he was just like trying to be provocative, but like a tongue-in-cheek way, like wink, wink. But it's like, you Probably don't know not. this person. <laughs> it's like, you can joke with someone like that who you've known for yeah. years, but you don't say that at like a cocktail party after the premiere yeah. of her play. To be honest, it was one of the best and most compassionate portrayals of straight white men and society. Mm. I wanted to like hug all the men I saw that night. Mm. It is a very... And, and it affects everybody, the, the story, the, the idea of who are we in our lives, mm-hmm. what's expected from us. And I don't want to give away too much, but it, I didn't expect it to be so touching. Mm-hmm. Like, I was sobbing at the end because yeah. I actually felt bad. Um, I think we can all relate to the characters, but that person, I don't think should go to the theater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they should be banned from theaters. I know that's controversial, but mm-hmm. that's how I feel. Because if you can see yeah. it, it's really good. Cool. Yeah, that uh, sounds awesome. I like that recommendation a lot. Um, anything else you're watching or listening to or reading right now? Uh, I can't do Handmaid's Tale. I read the recaps. No, I, I cannot. I either. read the recaps. I have only gotten through a season, I mean, so episode four of the recaps, Truly, and I have nightmares. There's so much in that show that I understand why people can't mm-hmm. watch it. Like, if you are a rape survivor, if... Or grew up in the Christian patriarchy. We're living here now. I mean, the flashback scenes. A million reasons why. Like, I know a lot of people who are like, I just can't watch Mm -hmm. it. I'm like, I get it. I get it. Well, one more (laughs) recommendation. I went on a Netflix binge. It's a documentary about Gloria Allred. Okay. It's called Seeing Allred. Oh. Your perception of her in the media is because, oh, that ambulance chaser, ridiculous. Mm -hmm. She is Mm. fascinating. Yeah. And she has changed. Personally changed laws in, in so many states. She yeah. doesn't just handle the problem. She then goes and she's like, this law needs to change. Mm. There should be no statute of limitations on rape. She took all the Cosby stuff pro bono because they couldn't win. Mm-hmm. She's like, I have a voice and I have a platform and I'm going to let these women talk. Wow. That's and she really has a history cool. that's very traumatic and she doesn't like talking about it. Mm. So I actually loved it. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Put that on my Netflix list. To yeah. watch, yes. Yeah. Um, have you seen Sharp Objects on no. HBO? No. It's the new show by Gillian Flynn, Gone Girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, th- I find it, I don't know. I think it's way better. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like not a huge fan of Gone Girl. I know it got a lot of praise. It was interesting. It, yeah, I, I don't know. I just was sort of like not interested the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is starring Amy Adams um, and it's about a woman who grew up. It's It sort of feels like Gillian Flynn's biography. Like, grew up in the South from a very traditional family. She's considered to be a bit of an embarrassment because uh, she's like a career woman and uh, not a stay-at-home mom. And it turns out that there is a serial killer uh, killing young girls in her hometown. Mm-hmm. So she goes, she's a reporter and she goes back to cover it. Um, but it's shot in a really compelling, creepy way. What's it on? HBO. 
Ooh, you know what else is good is The Fall. It's a British show. There are only two seasons oh, with Gillian Anderson. Oh, my gosh. Did, have you gone through the whole thing? Yeah. It had fucking ending. It's, it's, I don't like serial killer violence. It's actually not that hard to watch. It's upsetting, but it's not torture porn. It's not like, I don't know, it's, it's all psychological. It's really interesting. Yeah, and it has a lot of interesting commentary about, like, misogyny and violence against women and Jillian um oh my god has Jillian Anderson has some of the most amazing monologues ever in it, that the writing and the guy the actor I forget his name he was in 50 shades of gray you actually he's so good he actually feel for a serial killer yeah yeah he's so hot too but the first time they talk to each other over the phone oh. is like incredible uh, and she's like you fucked up oh man <laughs> like, what, what about you Faith anything uh the kids should know I should um, read. I'm looking, for a new, I'm looking for a new book. <laughs> Oof, let's see. I read so many things that I can't recommend because I'm reading them for like, like I read a book entirely because I knew I would disagree with it. What book? Mm. Um, Sexual Personae by Camille Paglia. Mm. <laughs> yep. You know, we do offer anti-recs on the show. If yep. they're like, don't read this. Camille Paglia is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was reading it because I think that there is a connect between the fact that um, feminist neo-paganism is still very gender essentialist. Mm. Um, I think there's a connect. I think she's like kind of the connect ideologically between that and Jordan Peterson. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. And I'm trying to like flesh out that argument. So yeah. I was like, well, I have to read this. Yeah. Um, Are you going to write about your thoughts afterwards? Because I'd love to read. Yeah, I want to. Um, I, I Yes. Um, Faith has a Patreon. I do have a Patreon. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, let's see. So that's read about that when I write about it. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't, don't slog through 700 pages yeah, of, uh, <laughs> women are chaotic and men are civilization. And, uh, we should have a podcast of just bu like book club, but what not to read and why yeah. we didn't yeah. like it and just dissect why the book was problematic. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. That's cool. But yeah. Yeah, everybody uh, go follow Faith's Patreon. And yeah, I would write there more if more people followed me there. Uh, shout out to the wonderful people who do. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's how I feel as well. I'm like, well, sign up, but I'll give you more content. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny, and we have uh, one of our monthly meetups coming up soon. So if you want to hang out with us virtually, mm. Go do that. Mm -hmm. $5 a month, you get to send questions that will answer on like trees and news. Those are always very fun. $50 a month, I'll send you a fucking handwritten letter. Yeah. How about that? I forgot the most important thing. Okay. You and I are in business together. Oh, my God. <laughs> have you mentioned this? I, yes, I have talked about it on the show, but we, I should talk about it now that you're I actually on the show I keep forgetting to talk about it on my show. I know. So, guys, uh, Catherine is the founder of a very wonderful podcasting boutique. Female-owned and operated. Only one in the world, baby. Uh, in the country. In the country. I found one in <gasps> Canada. Did you? Nice. And her and I are meeting up for coffee in the fall. <gasps> We're going to take her the world. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. But it's called The Podcast Shop. Now, don't let the prices on the website fool you. I've said this to everyone. That's to weed out the baddies. Yes. And Catherine is a very um, ethical, good person. We are selective of who we work with because you want to make mm -hmm. sure it's a positive experience for everyone yes but we have some amazing clients mm -hmm. and slowly work is picking up so if you know someone who has a lot of money and is really nice <laughs> send them my way yeah but if you don't slide scale i'm working on some online courses that are way cheaper yes. and therefore don't take 
but it's out. You are you're this most social media social media guru is who you yes, are. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. I um, that's been very fun consulting with people. It's just really. Uh, I talked about this with you, where I was like, we forget how much stuff we know. Yep. And how much we can help people who are starting out. And it's been so nice to meet with people who are like very clearly very talented, have a very important story to tell, but they're so overwhelmed and they feel like they can't do it. And just to have people be like, you can do this, absolutely. And like I, To see them be like, oh, okay. I recently had a woman who I don't want to give away too much, who at some point recently spoke to me and signed with me. And she's like, listen, your prices are a little bit more than I expected, but I went on everyone else's uh, page and they were kind of, how do I put this? Like dude-centric? And no, <laughs> no offense to dudes, but podcasting's personal. You got to yeah. be able to say what you're scared of, what you're excited about, and right. not have someone mm-hmm. tell you what to do. Yes. And we know what we're doing. Yeah. And it's yep. it's way more manageable than you think it is. You just need someone to like sort of give you the template like yeah. A, B, C, D. But yeah, anybody can do it, guys. Podcast shop, thepodcastshop.com. Mm-hmm. You want to work for me? You an editor? Let me know. Like Catherine. I might be hiring later this year. At S-P-K Heller. Or they could email you. Eh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Just Google it. You'll find her. She's everywhere. <laughs> Big web presence. (laughs) Uh, Guys, we're going to go to my interview now with Melissa Jeltsin. Please do follow her on Twitter. She's doing incredible, important work um, at Quasimato. Uh, She is the reporter who is, like, in the courtroom during domestic violence cases, uh, reporting on that. So um, really important beat. We talk about a bunch of different stuff, mostly about true crime and domestic violence. So go follow her on Twitter. Tweet her. Let her know you enjoyed the interview. And here it is. As you know, things are terrible right now um, with the fascists in the White House and whatnot. (laughs) But I've been checking in with people to see what they're listening to or reading or watching right now. I think you called it a media diet, which I really like. (laughs) Um, so yeah. yeah, I wanted to ask you, what are you, let's start with, what are you watching right now? Well, I have been watching, um, on Netflix, The Staircase. Have oh, you seen that? my God. Obsessed. So I saw it years ago and oh, then, did. well, I think, I forget where it originally aired, but then I heard that Netflix was, uh, showing it and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I started to see like screen grabs of Michael Peterson much older and I was like wait a second is there new fucking footage and I like scrambled to Netflix and I watched the uh, like the updated uh, episodes that they have now and like I don't how do you what do you think do you think he did it I definitely think he did it yeah but um I've been interested to hear from people who saw the original documentary in 2004 or whenever it came out because I feel like there's been sort of a shift in culture where when people saw it back then, a lot of people did assume he was guilty. Mm. Um, but now people watching, especially people who are coming to it for the very first time, um, I've seen a lot of people who totally think he's innocent. And I just wonder if it's sort of about this shift in people being a lot more critical of mm. prosecutors and police and, um, you know, being very willing to believe that there's, um, you know, a lot of, um, not like conspiracy theories, but a lot of, um, you know, bad behavior. Yeah, corruption. To get people. Yeah, which of course there is. Yeah, um, sure. Everywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, he comes across as guilty mm. based on just the evidence. I mean, I, 
I don't know. And I would never, you know, he could be, he could be innocent. Um, I don't know about what happened in Germany. It's not really based on that. <laughs> For me, it's just about um, the amount of blood that was there. I and mean, then- my whole thing that the one thing I can't get around, because like when I watched it the second time, he's just a very unlikable guy. I mean, like yeah. he's, he comes across as very arrogant. Um, so like, I understand why people were suspicious of him but the thing I can't get around that I don't understand is how he would have beaten her without fracturing her skull yeah I'm not enough of a medical professional to understand how that would have happened yeah Um, and I know they found like uh every homicide by beating of yeah, that, remember year. that part. yeah yeah and like there's always fractures to the skull and you know just from I'm no forensics expert but just from like remembering other autopsy reports of other homicides that were you know someone beat someone to death there's always like a lot of damage to the brain and she had very little damage to her brain so I I don't know I'm kind of like is this dude just the unluckiest man in the world and also knew another woman who fell down the stairs yeah what frustrates me about sort of watching a documentary like this is this the theme that runs throughout it which is like but they were just in love so much and 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 that you know she was his soulmate and he couldn't have done it because there was no motive for him to do it and i think in these like domestic homicide cases where someone kills when a man kills his partner, which happens three times a day in the U.S., like there's not right. necessarily going to be a motive. Like sure. you're not going to be able to find this like smoking gun. It's just anger, it's jealousy, it's rage, it's all sorts of things. So the idea, like, there's just so much time put into the documentary where they're showing like how much he he loved her, as if that means he must not have done it. And I don't totally, buy that at all. totally, yeah, I agree with that. I just I think what Obviously, the there not being any fractures in the skull, but also it was so creepy that his sexuality was so prominent in that trial. Yeah. That was really gross. Yeah, I think that that's gross. And I don't think that, um, you know, especially just in the time that it took place, I can understand um, how the prosecutors use that to their advantage to, um, you know, sort of smear him yeah. with the jury. And I don't think that that's an appropriate tactic. But the, a few other things I'll just mention that also make me think he's guilty. Oh, yeah. That's, not a, that's just about my gut feeling sure. about him. Is, um, well, so he was in the military. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> no, so just like a history of being exposed to violent acts. And, um, you know, we know that people, people who... Obviously, not everybody who's in the military or, or wants to be a police officer wants to inflict violence on other people. But we know that there is a strain of people who are drawn to careers like that because they like authority. Well, and he like yeah, violence. He also wrote very glowingly about violence. Um, I think he yeah. he said. You know, like a man never feels more alive than when he's committing an act of violence or having sex. Something like yeah, that. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But like, yeah, he obviously yeah. like enjoyed that aspect of, of war. Yeah. And then he's a real fabulous. Like he's mm. he made up a lot of stuff. He and did. We yes. often see that in domestic violence, like abusers who are very narcissistic mm-hmm. and they lie like off the cuff, like it means nothing to them. So the fact that he 
also has this history of really embellishing his career and just making shit up that's completely untrue right is like raises questions about his character to me yeah that is in line with the kind of person i just Um, found out about the fact that i think he was running for mayor or something yeah he had just lost i think yeah his campaign and he had lied about receiving a purple heart yeah i yeah that's kind of weird very weird yeah and also i mean obviously the documentary is wildly biased Oh, and did you hear about how the editor was uh, in a relationship with him for many, many years? I just found that out as well. Like, every time I learn something new about him, I'm like, oh, buddy, I'm trying to maybe be skeptical and give you the benefit of the doubt, but you are a bad person. <laughs> also, even to me, like, the fact that an editor fell in love with him while doing the the show, like... I don't know, maybe I'm just always looking for the red flags, but to me that just like points to his sort of charismatic real yes. ability to um, convince people of his side and, uh, you know, but I mean, we'll, we'll never know and he, he's, he'll never admit it, you know, why would he? Sure. So, yeah, what I found, three. to me what was so interesting about the documentary was watching the daughters kind of try mm, to reconcile yeah. how they feel about him. And I haven't watched all the latest ones yet. Okay. So I just got to the first, like the first ones while he's like in prison and they're going through the blood spatter stuff. Now. Yeah. I, well this, this happened pretty early on, I think. So mm-hmm. you probably saw it, but I just remember there were a couple times where you could kind of tell they were like, well, we've come this far and yeah. we've had his back, so we're choosing to believe this is still true. <laughs> well, I think it's 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 a lot if you like, and I see this with family members all the time. As I, you know, when I write about crime, you often see the family members of the accused who really can't accept that this a person that they love would do something so horrific, and it's so altering to their life to come to that acceptance and so they just choose not to like I'm thinking of I was in Texas about a month ago uh, and this man had um, killed his ex-wife oh sorry he had shot his ex he came to his ex-wife's house she was in bed with her new boyfriend he shot the boyfriend and the bullet um, killed the boyfriend but also went into his ex-wife she survived and then he killed um, their three children, the oh, three God. children he had with his ex-wife. And he he brought them into her house and killed them there. Oh, my God. And then he shot himself. Wow. So she was, um, you know, she had been shot. Her boyfriend was dead laying next to her and her three kids were dead. Now, when I was there, it was only a few days after it happened. I went to the memorial service um, and spent some time with her. But his family, so the killer's family, could not accept what he had done, that he had killed their grandchildren and that he had shot himself and that he had killed this other man and they were really were still blaming the woman oh my you know God. blaming the ex-wife and that was really hard for me to handle because yeah. I was just like how can you not see what's happening and have empathy for her in this moment so they were kind of like she brought it on herself yeah because she wow. had a new boyfriend and she had left him and <laughs> this kind of stuff um, but yeah I mean that's pretty common that sure, yeah. um, it's it's really hard to say yeah my the person I raised or the person who raised me is a bad person or you know bad's very simplistic it's a person who's made really bad decisions that you know that hurt other people so I, I I also think like like Cosby's wife or something I don't think that that's something that she can live with 
yes. to believe that that's the man her husband is and the man she's given her entire life to. So she has to believe that he's being framed and set up and right um, in order to live with the decisions she's made and, and to live with him. So um, these are, you know, we, we delude ourselves a lot every day for, for small things too, in order to, to live our lives happily. And um, I think, yeah, when you see those big things, like with the daughters, I mean, I really think that they do believe him and, mm. and need to believe him um, because he was the, really the only family that they had. And to believe the, the opposite, which is that he killed both their mothers, right, is just you know really really difficult. Sure. Um, so, is there anything you're listening to right now that you would like to recommend? So yeah, I've been listening to In the Dark. Have you listened to that? No, I don't think I have. No. Oh wait, okay. actually, no. You know what? I've been listening to so. Is it true crime? Yes. Okay, I've been listening to so much true crime, I probably forgot which one that is. So this was this is a second series. The first one was about a different case. Um, but this is about Curtis Flowers. Yes. He's a black man in Mississippi who's been, who's been tried six times for the same crime. This is bananas, this story. <laughs> I just, I checked my podcast and I have like episode 10 waiting for me. Um, yeah, this, do you want to briefly recap for everyone? Yeah, so he... Um, have been working just really briefly at uh, a furniture store. I think it's Hardy's furniture store um, in a town in Mississippi. I don't know what year this would have been a long time ago because he's been in prison um, this whole time. And he, uh, there was a murder. I think four people were killed Mm -hmm. um, inside of the furniture store and police immediately zeroed in on him uh, because he had, just been working there for about a week and then had sort of been fired, sort of stopped showing up to work. Um, and some of the coworkers who died, some of their family members had said that uh, Curtis gave them the creeps. So he became, um, goes suspect. without saying that he's black. <laughs> he's black. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was, there was no physical evidence tying him to the crime. Um, they, there was just nothing. I think they had some bystanders who remember seeing him walking that day that would have perhaps put him in the, in the right place. But the, the evidence they have is really, really thin. They had a jailhouse informant who claimed that Curtis confessed to him, um, who's now reneged and said actually uh, he was coached by the DA to say that. So I think um, they also had like, traces of gunpowder on him but it turns out it's very easy for that for gunpowder to transfer and he had been uh in the police station so obviously that he he was surrounded by a lot of officers who have gunpowder on them so that's probably how that happened yeah the most impressive thing about this podcast is just the amount of work that they did to get to get this story. I mean, it yes. sounds like people from in the dark have been camped out in Mississippi for like a year. <laughs> yeah. no, seriously, like yeah. getting court documents, really trying to understand. Um, so what they found was that this um, DA had been systematically uh, getting like kicking black people off the jury. So his juries are mostly white. Um, and so they went back through, which is, not constitutional and so they went back through like every case that um he had over a certain amount of years which there is no way there's no easy way to do that it's not Mm -hmm. like in a database somewhere they had to go 
courthouse by courthouse and then try to find the information on the jury um, makeup. So it's just an, a tremendous amount of work that mm. I'm so uh, grateful that someone's doing and also kind of jealous. Like I would love to be able to spend a year just uh, roaming around Mississippi and pulling together documents like that. It really is amazing. It's very impressive. Um, and then finally, are you reading anything right now that you'd like to recommend? Um, I have been, so, you know, I covered a trial, a federal trial a few months ago in Florida. And so I've been thinking about trials and, um, sort of books about trials. So I picked up Helter Skelter. Did you ever read it? (laughs) So I think that was the origin of my true crime obsession. Okay. (laughs) I read that in high school and it like blew my mind. (laughs) Yes, I think a lot of people read it like, you know, a long time ago and got into it. Reading it now, Uh I don't think I ever read it before. I'm actually like struck by how I don't like it very much. And I think and like if you were to reread it, I wonder like what your your perceptions would be. But, you know, it's written by the prosecutor and he, you know, yeah. So it's like from his perspective. And he truly believed Charles Manson was the devil. Yeah, so there's a lot of that, like, inflected throughout it, and, uh, like, just, like, seeing evil in people's eyes and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, which I'm like, I don't believe that at all, you know, I don't believe people are evil. Um, I just remember there's a part where he's in court, and he looks down at his watch, and his watch stops, (laughs) and he looks up, and Charles Manson's looking right at him, and I was like, do you, even in high school, I was like, does this man think that Charles Manson stopped his watch? (laughs) Yeah, exactly, there's stuff like that. Um, but then it's also like, he's always like shitting on, on the cops and other people. He's like, I I asked these cops like four times to go measure the distance between this and this. And they never did it. I had to go do it myself. Like a lot of it's very self-congratulatory. Like that he single-handedly was pulling together all the evidence for this case. And everybody, you just, you just get this like vision of these like really lazy LAPD cops who are like, (laughs) we're not doing anything. So I don't know, um, but I'm slogging my way through it. It's also so detail heavy. I mean, it's it's interesting even just in terms of like understanding the the prosecution of this case, which was a complicated case. Like, I mean, I haven't got all the way through it, so I don't really know how they end up doing it. But you know that he Manson wasn't present for um, yeah m- most of these murders, and they're they're gonna you know tie him to them. So yeah, I'm reading that. Um, I have a few other books and I'm reading some poetry and, you know, I, I do find that like I, even as I write about crime all the time and violence, I also end up watching and reading stuff about it too, because it is, you know, an interest of mine and it's like half work, you know, if I'm re- like the staircase, like mm-hmm. I'm watching it for pleasure, but I'm also like, okay, this is a man who, you know probably killed his wife and this is how do we approach these stories of domestic violence and right have you seen um have you seen evil genius on netflix no it's this very strange documentary it's pretty short i think about and i had remembered hearing about this in the 90s i think of um a guy walks into a bank and he goes up to the teller and he says, I have a bomb strapped to me. Uh, and then he holds up the bank. And obviously the bank calls the cops on him. The cops uh, chase him down. And he's 
sitting outside of his car and he has a bomb strapped to his neck. And, oh my God. And he's saying um, that people strapped it to him and forced him to hold up the bank. Um, and the cops don't really know what to do and they waste a lot of time trying to figure it out. And uh, the bomb goes off and the guy dies. And you that happens in like the first... 10 seconds of the documentary like that's not a spoiler Mm -hmm. but they the rest of the documentary is figuring out who the people who strapped the bomb to him were and like what their story is and it's so interesting and so weird um but if you like true crime i would recommend oh yes no i'm very excited Mm -hmm. i will Mm -hmm. add it to my list um, and then finally, before I let you go, is there any advice you would give everyone to sort of preserve their sanity during this tumultuous time? <sighs> yes, I think if you can take a, a personal day off work and go to the beach, it helps. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been trying to really enjoy any warm day that we have and, you know, be outside as much as possible. What else? I mean, I've personally been just throwing myself into uh, exercise classes mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. just being like, if I do this, like, it just gets me away from the news cycle. And um, and I think, yeah, just making sure people are really taking care of themselves in terms of, you know, making time to go to the grocery store and make yourself nutritious food and talk to friends. And, I mean, it, it is very oppressive like what we're living through right now and it's hard and and I think it can be isolating so yeah I recommend putting your phone on airplane mode I've been doing that a lot yeah (laughs) just like stay off Twitter (laughs) I know I feel really bad when it's the weekend and I'm still looking at Twitter and I'm like what Uh what am I what are you doing like why are you looking at this right now it's not adding anything to your life it's just hurting your brain and making you kind of frazzled and yeah so yeah Stay off Twitter. Go to the beach. Go to the beach. Thanks again to Melissa. Uh, Please do go follow her. And guys, it's that time of the show. Let's all hold hands and cry. (gasps) Here's your bad news. It's bad, guys. Just to brace you. It's very bad. So, guys, we are going to talk a lot about immigration um, and all of the issues surrounding that. I have to start with this story. Uh, it's super heavy, but everybody was showing, uh, sharing it the other day on Twitter about, did you see in The Nation, they have uh, an article about the six-year-old girl who was separated from her mother and then sexually abused at an mm-hmm. Arizona detention facility? So... I will link to the article. Um, It's actually a Splinter News article about the Nation article, like a a summary of it, at our Lipson page, uh, which is we are, I always forget what it is, we are lighttreasonnews.lipson.com. The reason all the links are there is because uh, SoundCloud does not allow you to link to articles. Uh, But, so, if you have not read the Nation report, Um, According to the report, the girl identified by the initials DL and her mother had fled gang violence in Guatemala. In May, they sought asylum at a border entry point in El Paso, Texas. 
Two days later, immigration authorities separated DL from her mother and sent the young girl to an immigration shelter outside of Phoenix run by Southwest Key Programs. The first incident of alleged abuse occurred last June by an older child at the same facility. A week later, DL's father, an undocumented immigrant in California, was contacted by Southwest Key Programs. The next day, this happened. On June 12th, one day after DL's father was contacted, the six-year-old girl was presented with the form stating that as part of the facility's intervention protocol, she had been instructed to maintain, quote-unquote, maintain my distance from the other youth involved and had been provided, quote-unquote, psychoeducation, described in the document as reporting abuse and good touch, bad touch. Um, the girl's mother, who was detained in Texas at the time, told the nation it was a nightmare. When my husband told me what happened, I felt helpless. She was so little. She was probably so scared, probably afraid to say anything to anyone. It was a total nightmare for me. Then the abuse happened again. On June 22nd, Southwest Key again contacted DL's father and informed him that the same boy initially cited for abuse had hit and fondled DL again. According to family spokesman Mark Lane, Deal's father asked how the facility could allow this to happen, and the woman on the phone responded that she was only calling him to advise him that it had happened, and she didn't have permission to say anything else, and he would have to speak with the director. <laughs> I can't <sighs> imagine. Like, <laughs> let, like it starts with they're seeking asylum. So they yeah. should never, like, not that children should ever be incarcerated in the first place, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, it just leads to making vulnerable people yes. more vulnerable. Like, to me, this is primed for predators to get jobs here. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. no shit. Who wants to work in that facility? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like even if you're not a sexual abuser, yeah. there's something fucking wrong with you. I will tell you, I would not trust those people to watch my ant farm for yes, the weekend. Exactly. Let alone children. If every gymnast in the a gymnastics teacher in the world is abusing kids, I'm sorry. There just are people in the world who are abusive, and this country especially sees people as less than, mm-hmm. and they're not going to complain, and whose side will believe who. Well, it whenever is absurd. You have, whenever have, you have, like, a protected class that has access to vulnerable children, like, oh. I remember during the Catholic priest abuse scandal, people were like, how many pedophiles were serving as priests within the church? And it's like, of course they went there, mm-hmm. because they knew they would have the protection of the cloth and the Vatican, and they could do whatever the fuck they want, and they had a lot of those young altar boys, and there were girls too, obviously, but they were like poor kids who got a, like a quote unquote job. They got to participate in the church and the priests would seek out ones who like didn't have strong parental figures. I'm like, they were mm-hmm. grooming these kids. Yeah. That's and- what predators do. So of course now these predators, you know, more predators are going to work for these private detention facilities. And who knows uh, what they're telling the kids. Oh, yeah. we'll kill and your parents if you don't do this. Exactly. Oh, if you want to your parents again, do that. They'll get deported if you I mean, report us, yeah. And in this case, it was another kid, right? At the facility. In this case, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there Which have been stories is, about guards. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's, like, just another... Like, I don't... I. I don't get why that like we we have to say you can't lock up children, but this is like yet another reason why right. you can't lock up children because they can't get away from uh, like if other children are preying on the yes. younger children. She's like she can't locked like, up with get away an abuser. from yeah. Mm-hmm. 
that person. And like, for every child that says it happened, there are 20 oh. more who are not mm-hmm. talking about yep. it, I guarantee you. Yep. So I should also note that Southwest Key, um, a nonprofit slated to receive $458 million in government funding this year, has been cited for hundreds of violations over the past three years in Texas. According to NPR, Southwest Key operates 26 shelters in Arizona, Texas, and California that house 5,100 immigrant minors. In that story, NPR had asked, is Southwest Key acting compassionately or is it complicit in a controversial policy? God, I love NPR. Um, First of all, you cannot possibly act compassionately yeah. when you're That's a great locking NPR up people question. for crossing a border. Yep. NPR. Is it organic to lock up kids? What if they're free range kids? <laughs> is it okay? Fuck NPR. Is it protecting <laughs> kids or profiting off them? I think we can confidently answer that they're not protecting kids by putting them in jail, NPR. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to editorialize. Mm. But I, here's, here's my quick question. I know that we're all you know, progressive people who are aware yes. of this, and the, but there's amazing journalists. There's people with money who are donating to ACLU. Mm-hmm. But people are going to look back in 10 years and say, why didn't you do anything? Yeah. What are their things? Because I'm allowed to fly out there right now and, you know, bust yeah. some balls. My sister's a lawyer. I know people. Sure. But what can we do? Well, I think you're right. Um, the ACLU always needs money um, and lawyers always need support. The, actually, I think the people doing the most excellent direct action stuff are immigrant communities themselves. Like, if you've ever seen those videos of them physically blocking the ICE vehicles and stuff like yeah, that, those yeah. are all local organizations um, and there's that have a lot been doing of doing work for years, doing work for years and not getting a ton of media attention. So it's a little frustrating when I hear like, um, obviously I'm not talking about you, Catherine, but sometimes you see people online who are like, why is no one doing anything? And it's like, right. there's a lot of people doing a lot of great work. Um, maybe it's not getting the coverage it deserves. Not maybe it's definitely not getting the coverage it deserves mm-hmm. because a lot of it is the immigrant community themselves organizing to help each other. And it's like, poor marginalized brown people who probably are not going to be invited onto CNN, you know? And there's so many things that one can do is go to those facilities, make food for them, help out, volunteer, uh, childcare so they can go out, do things like that. But you do feel helpless when you keep reading these things. And it's it's hard because it makes (sighs) people not know what to do. Yeah, there was this other story, I don't know if you saw it, by a friend of the show, Ryan Devereaux. I love Ryan. Over at the Intercept, yeah, he's a he's a intrepid journalist, man. Mm. I remember hanging out with this guy, and now he's just like <laughs> world class journalist. So he has a story over at the Intercept about how ICE has conducted hundreds of raids in New York since Trump came ISIS to power. Or, uh, ISIS or ICE? ICE. Oh, okay. They said ISIS. Sorry. I said ICE has conducted okay, hundreds of raids in New York since Trump came to power. Um, and this is significant because there's been a lot of talk about sanctuary cities. Mm-hmm. And I think some people have an incorrect belief that California and New York like allow uh, undocumented immigrants to just uh, live here and we don't harass them and detain mm-hmm. them and deport oh, you them. order pizza from them and then. I, yeah. Like this is true when I worked at the restaurant, I would run through scenarios in my head of like if ICE ever showed up, what mm. I would do, like how I would block them. I was... I like thought like ran through a scenario in my head of like blocking a van and like Mm -hmm. just like what I would do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, 
legitimately frightened that at some point that would happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very likely that it will at some point. But within this article, Intercept article, uh, there's an interactive uh, map called Ice Watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the culmination of years of work by the Immigrant Defense Project, speaking of organizations <laughs> that are doing great work, mm-hmm. and the Center for Constitutional Rights. Um, the project reflects some 665 reported ICE operations from apartment raids to curbside snatch and grabs <laughs> from 2013 to the present. Uh, while a handful of examples are logged from as far west as California, the vast majority of the incidents were said to have occurred in the New York metropolitan area. With more than half of the incidents, a total of 462 events, reported after Trump's inauguration. So no surprise that it accelerated after Trump got into office. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people would be uh, surprised to learn that that many ICE operations happen in New York City. Yep. Because mm-hmm. we have this assumption where we're like, oh, it doesn't happen Did here. you hear the story about, the, I don't know if you covered this, the woman on the plane? Who, yes. yes. Did you cover yeah, that already? Sorry, yeah. I missed that. Um, that. I mean, little things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not always going like, to work. But if you're white, uh, don't let them into your, if, if somebody knocks and it's ice mm-hmm. and you open the door, don't let them into the apartment. Yep. Like just if you're, if you're white, like use your in the privilege, way. use your body, use your Get voice. Get your whiteness like, in the way. Well, so um, somebody close to me, I won't say their name because I don't know how this person went to one of the trainings cause she's a therapist and she's like, can I go to these centers and help the kids? Can I do that? And one of the many things they said is if you're white, if you're in a position of any sort of power or working with people, um, know the difference between the warrants yes. that mm-hmm. ICE shows you and ICE doesn't because those are not real unless signed by a certain kind of judge. Yes. Yep. But people don't know their rights. And right. so I think we all really need to be educating ourselves about things mm-hmm. like that. Exactly. Because, yeah. Um, yeah. Also, I've heard people suggest... Um, even if they show up with a warrant, act confused because they're not like regular cops. So be like, you're impersonating a police officer. Right. I'm going to call the cops on you. Yeah, that's a good one. Like you have to wait outside. I'm going to call the NYPD. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like let the NYPD and ICE do get out. <laughs> yeah. Um, guys, it's that time of the episode. That was very heavy, but now you get to celebrate. Here is your good news. <laughs> So there's been a lot of talk about Facebook this week because um, they took a hit in the stock market because I think this is like, I forget how many consecutive quarters they've reported a loss, Mm -hmm. but it was a big deal. They lost a shit ton of money. That is not the Facebook uh, trend I want to talk about because we're in the good news section and I don't (laughs) give a shit about Mark Zuckerberg not (laughs) making as much money. What I am very happy about is that Facebook suspended Alex Jones. Yes. (laughs) Finally. And YouTube, right? Uh, Did YouTube as well? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, just to recap, Alex Jones is a insane conspiracy theorist. Um, Mm -hmm. And he was suspended for bullying and hate speech because, again, he is the guy who believes that Sandy Hook uh, didn't actually happen, that it was a false flag event. And all of those families lie. Yep. Mm -hmm. All those dead babies are actors, guys. Did you know that? And their families are liars. And you should scream at them when you see them that they're liars and that their baby's not actually dead. That is what Alex Jones did. That will be his legacy. So he has been suspended finally. 
but also like fuck Facebook, like and fuck YouTube. The reason it they took so long to do that is they were like, we're making money off of ads mm-hmm. from these hate groups. They said Holocaust deniers can be on there. They just have an opinion. Yeah. They hid behind the First Amendment, where they were like, yep. well, all opinions are valid because yeah. all those opinions are earning us money. And listen, the idea of say the thought police or censorship, I understand that, but that does not mean that every single you know place has to always run all the articles. You can choose yeah. to write about it somewhere else. You don't right. have to be on Facebook. That's not how it works. It's also like only certain ty- types of extreme ideologies are tolerated. So like Facebook would not, and I always struggle to come up with a left-wing version of Alex Jones because I don't think we really have one. There's like conspiracy websites, but not at the same level as Alex Jones. Yeah, and they tend to circle around into... Alex Jones, like right wing type yeah, territory. Nine like eleven was an inside job, like kind right. of, yeah. deep state. Yeah, it's it's not like it doesn't remain like truly left wing by the time it gets around to like that right end of stuff. Um, but I'm like good, but I'm also like, isn't it too late? <laughs> like it took so long. Well, Facebook also, you know, they said no more fake news, but they signed a contract with Fox, which. <laughs> Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So also in good news, I love that Michael Cohen now can't stop squealing about everything. And I I, love that he he led into it by saying, like, I take a bullet for him. And he said that, and I was like, this guy's going to flip so fast. And then immediately he was like, here's everything I know. I have recordings. Take the recordings. He went to the same, like, notoriously shitty law school my father went ah, to. You told me that. No. I want to ask, ask my dad like if he knows that. <gasps> okay, so I know someone who's a little famous there on the TV and they were on an elevator on the way to a restaurant and uh, Michael Cohen walked in and he had that look on his face like, yeah, Michael Cohen. And she's like, <laughs> cool, I'm on TV. Who cares? And then someone else came in the elevator and instead of looking at him, he's like, oh my God, you're on that TV show and didn't recognize Michael Cohen. Love it. And she said that he was like, oh, <laughs> so it was all for nothing. Did you did you mention already that in Sean Spicer's book he accidentally called the Steele dossier Michael Steele dossier, and Michael Steele was the head of the in RNC book? in his book. No editor caught that. Oh, maybe his editor did catch that. And <laughs> his had a little editor fun. secretly hates him. I would him. love to be that editor. <laughs> oh my god, that's so. And then Mother Teresa is Guccifer two point Oh my god. Um, <clears throat> so Michael Cohen, uh, again, just to recap, Trump's former personal attorney. <laughs> claims that then-candidate Trump knew in advance about the June 2016 meeting in Trump Tower in which Russians were expected to offer his campaign dirt on Hillary Clinton. This, of course, was like the famous meeting that Donald Trump Jr. attended, and Trump came out and said that he denied he had any knowledge that his son was meeting with Russians at Trump Tower on his behalf. (laughs) Didn't know. He had no idea. When I was a teenager, I did some fucked up shit, too. Like, here's the thing. I'm I'm joking. That is a possibility. It's no, a possibility not. that, you know, they wanted to give him plausible deniability and they're like, you know what, let's not keep him abreast of everything we're doing, especially if we're asking for dirt about his political opponent. Because that, you know, the mob does that. The mob, like, the, the, the henchmen don't tell the mob leader everything they're mm-hmm. doing so he can be like, I didn't know this was happening. That is a possibility. I just happen to believe it's not true. Yeah. 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 But one of the things that I, I was thinking about, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, um, Mueller hasn't called him in yet. And I think he's trying to give Mueller crumbs because he knows that he wants immunity. But if you think of yes. it that way, 
it's a little, not, it's not sad, but like, think about that. He keeps giving things out and Mueller does not want to talk to him still, which means yeah, Mueller already that's knows. That's interesting. Michael Cohen definitely is trying to get immunity. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably on his mind too when he was making the recordings. Like, I need an, an insurance policy. Oh yeah, definitely. That's yeah, that's what they always do. For <laughs> sure, for sure. And you're allowed to do that in New York uh, State. So anytime Trump says that he broke the law doing that, it's not true. Can I t- can I s- this might be mean and I don't think these people are okay. by any stretch not intelligent. Also, feel free to be mean. But they... Even on the tapes and everything, they don't sound that bright. No, they're they're very stupid. That's why when people compare them to the mob, I'm like, that's insulting. No, the mob, to the mob. is actually re- yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. these guys are not as organized as the mob. Yeah. They instantly rolled on each other. Like there are mob people who went to prison for life because they protected each other, and they were real smart. Yeah, yeah. Not to glorify well, the mob because a lot I mean, of them the mob are like, like terrible people. <laughs> had to actually be intelligent because they were trying to hold together like communities right yes these people are just in it for power right right so there's like no motive for them to be anything other than the bumbling idiots they are yeah and they were all i mean it was basically a a pack of sociopaths who bound together in the short term to win a presidency and then they fell apart immediately Mm. because they weren't loyal to each other no did you have 125 different sources squealing to the washington post when obama was president never no never had that maybe you would have one or two sources and of course you know the obama uh, presidency had its own uh, pitfalls and and we talk about it a lot on the show but one thing that I think uh, most people would agree on is that that administration was way more loyal mm-hmm. to that president than this one is. I think if they is. disagreed with him, they could talk about it as to opposed him. to run to the press. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And they they probably felt like he would hear them out. And, yes. Yeah. Because uh, he, he wasn't playing psychotic power games with all of them <laughs> the way that Trump does. Well, yeah. he did wear that tan suit. That was a <laughs> that very was a sad move. day for America. That was a power move if I've yeah. ever seen My one. My psychiatrist wore one of those yesterday, and I, I didn't want to be like, nice suit, because we don't have that relationship. <laughs> but I was like, damn, that is a nice looking suit. Oh, that's so tan funny. Tan is a good color. Yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> and then again, like, anytime I talk about Michael Cohen or anything, like, it's just one wild revelation after another. But I'm always like, will it matter? Like, we have him on tape now, and it's still like, but will it matter? Not to Trump's face. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, I have no faith in... And that's not to say, like, I don't think that Mueller's um, conducting a thorough investigation. I think he is. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of like, will that matter? I feel like no Republican can be inept enough to actually suffer any consequences. But where, where are places like the New York Times going to finally do think pieces about Trump voters? <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing that gets me. Everyone's like, oh, the DNC was hacked. Well, the RNC was hacked too. So if you see Paul Ryan and these people acting a little bit odd, and I'm not, I don't know uh. this for a fact, I'm sorry, there's compromise on kind of everyone. Yeah, but Paul Ryan's the only one who's sort of aggressively gone after Trump. After Helsinki, he was like, that was beyond Describe the pale. aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know no, I mean? no, he actually him. went after him. Yeah, yeah, no, like he, Mitch McConnell was tame. Mitch McConnell said it was totally unacceptable, but he mm-hmm. would not condemn Trump. Paul Ryan condemned Trump. Yes. That was the most any Republican has done. Correct. Well, the um, thing is, like, just from what I've seen, and my entire Trump voter sample is uh, Eric's parents, who I love. Oh, really? Um, But... I see them occasionally. It's, or his mom comments yeah. on his Facebook posts. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, they got very much like, this is disgraceful after the Helsinki, uh, sure. whatever. Like, this is horrible. Like, this is they were offended a by terrible him. day for America, blah, yeah. blah. But they never like 
they just it, it's like it never happened it just right. like goes they back to being like but like, trump is the best yeah. and like they won't condemn him they'll just be like that was really embarrassing and it's like right but what about trump and right. they're like well he's our president and not to make a total parallel but like when obama was doing the drone strikes and the um deportation yeah that was fucked up but we still li- like liked his policies and i'm not saying that's an exact yeah. correlation no, right. but i understand no it you're a right bit. I, obama got like he coasted a lot on the fact that he's very likable. He's very intelligent, very like, you know, charming. very charming. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to feel like the world respected us again because they respected <laughs> Obama. Now, Obama also had a horrific immigration policy yep. and, and the drone strikes, as you said, and all of that stuff that is inexcusable. But it felt like, I mean, the, the guy won the presidency and then won the Nobel Peace Prize and he hadn't done anything yet. <laughs> it was just sort of like, it was nice after George W. Bush to feel like, oh, cool, the world doesn't hate us right now. And mm-hmm. also since I'm in certain spaces having worked with rich people and still friends, you know, friendly with rich people who are liberal but did, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. I have to tell you, and I don't want to simplify it too much and you know who you are if you're listening, <laughs> They really only care about the economy. They have blinders on and they see these people as, well, they shouldn't have come to the country. That is Mm. really where that's at. And by the way, they're the majority of the Trump voters. It's not the poor working class people at all. It's the white suburbanites. White rich people who cared about the 401k and the tax cuts. It's them and it's the voting bloc that was gotten together under the auspices of being Mm. pro-life. Because that's like my parents would never like they... They struggled with it, but they would have never, ever voted for Trump if it hadn't been for the entire, like, but the Democrats will kill babies. So, yeah. 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 That was really one of the most brilliant like that voting block marrying of coalitions under, like, the quote unquote. Meanwhile, the Republicans movement. are actually killing babies in cages. Uh, yep. I just don't, guys. Yeah. yeah. The economy thing is extra what, frustrating because now the economy's doing a little better. I mean, anytime we talk about the economy doing better, we're not talking about for working class people, but. That's Trump inheriting Obama's policies. And also, in the same way Obama had to inherit W's policy. Like, people don't understand how the economy works. They just blame the president who's currently in the White House. And people mm-hmm. are employed, but they're overemployed because, uh, personally, most people I know work three jobs. Exactly. Myself yeah. included. So, mm-hmm. like, look at all the jobs. It's like, yeah, I'm like 18 hours a day. Yeah. We shouldn't have to have or to do that. Or as George W. Bush would say, isn't that wonderfully mm-hmm. American? And we also <laughs> all have roommates, which yes. has been pointed out was not normal until recently for adults yeah with a full-time job yeah. or two to have roommates yeah and like yeah like adults not people who are you know yeah like my, room, my roommates are like you know a 40-ish year old real estate agent yeah. and a That's 40-ish totally year old welder like, like I can't imagine a scenario where I won't have a roommate and yeah. also you know with the income divide the yeah. people who are up here can't fathom what it's like to be middle class let alone people who are scraping by right Right. And they're all, there's no more middle class guys. Sorry. Yeah. No, that that's a total myth now. I am um, going to a wedding next mm-hmm. weekend. My cousin's marrying a very wealthy or a, a daughter of a very wealthy man. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I can't, I can't like access the open bar at this wedding because I will get out of pocket. Like I have to, <laughs> I have to stay sober. Oh, I, I would say the opposite. Drink all of their alcohol. Uh, I, I once went to a wedding in Missouri the week before the election and everyone there was like red state Trump, Trump, Trump. And at the wedding, uh, everyone got a little tipsy and had a good time, myself included. And uh, Ludacris and all these other black songs came on. They were like trying to, and I was like, 
you love that culture, don't yeah. you? But you hate those people. Yep. And it's so obvious. They're yep. like, isn't this fun? And I'm like, you are all terrible. Yep. 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 Guys, please follow Faith and Catherine on the Twitter at Bohemian Faith at SPK Heller. Yeah, that's right. Um, or CatherineHeller.com or thepodcastshop.com to read Allison's bio Hello. that I helped write. I'm pretty proud of it. <laughs> Thank you for writing that. Somebody, I some, had no time and I was like, Catherine, I'm so sorry. And then somebody, she wrote this great bio for me. Somebody told me, they said, I kind of really wanted to hire you because I know Allison from MSNBC and also in your bio you said I do artsy as fuck. <laughs> and then he goes, and then I saw that you did stuff for the Drug Policy Alliance and like a banner said, no more drug war. She's like, I was like, this is my person. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, if you have any, if you have a budget or if you have any questions about podcasts or anything like that thepodcastshop.com we will work yes. with you I can't yeah. guarantee you everything sure. but I would love helping people who have good ideas yes. and good values yes well said guys uh, guys please follow uh, uh, Faith and uh, sign up at her Patreon what is also, your Patreon is um, it under your name or what yeah, do you it's, a, it's just under my name um, patreon.com slash F.A. Boschman probably cool something like that mm-hmm. <laughs> um, great <laughs> also if you're in Brooklyn and you need cat sitting uh, yeah. Gotham City Cat Care just ask for me cool. um, I might know people awesome yeah, yeah. I'll yeah good for you cool, guys <laughs> All right, so thanks for listening. Please follow us at Light Treason Pod, uh, lighttreason.news. Hit that donate button to keep us going. And uh, yeah, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. Bye.